Dons fans. 2023 is almost done and dusted. Santa will be here in a few short weeks. And before we know it, footy will be back for season 2024. I'm Jonathan Walsh. And for the final time in 2023, I'm joined in the Don the Stat studio by my co-host, Ian Hume. Hume, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Just getting ready for the festive season at the end of the year, getting all that Christmas shopping done. So no one will be dissatisfied. Uh, it feels a bit weird to be back. It's been over a month since our last podcast back in October, so going to be very rusty tonight. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm good, mate. You're much more organised with the Christmas shopping than I am. I, I typically leave that kind of stuff to Christmas Eve. I, I figure that's what Christmas Eve is for. But yeah, I've been good. It's been uh, it has been a while between recordings, but yeah, we've hit that part of the off season where I start to miss footy again and, and start to devour. Uh, you know, the, the work that Charlie and Rick in particular put up on uh, and, and the, the training content they put up on Twitter and, and start to plot out what 2024 might look like. But, yeah, it's been a big year for Don the Stat, hasn't it? And it's also been a big year personally with work and, and a few other things. So, yeah, very much looking forward to putting the feet up for a few weeks over Christmas and New Year and watching some cricket and uh, seeing some family and friends. Yeah, me too. Yeah, big bash starts tonight, so that's my summer sorted. And, yeah, we'll see how... That gives us a bit of time to really build into the footy season with the the countdown that you're running, which is going great guns. So, yeah, we hit 100 days to go today, which is auspicious for our last episode. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mentioned this to you today, but uh, we started the countdown and I think it was day 105 or 106 or something. And I had this nervous thought last night, what if I've stuffed it up and and we get to the day before game day and, and we've already, and you know, we're one day out, but I did see the footy club on, on the official account today tweet. It was a hundred days to go. So I'm relieved that I got the count right. Yeah. Well, look, before we get started with the the content tonight, well, there's a few announcements. So uh, Patreon payments have been paused since October um, and they're going to resume on the 1st of February. So that'll continue from then. Uh, there have been a couple of people during since we paused the payments asking to sign up. You can't actually sign up to Patreon whilst payments are paused. So that's when you'll be able to to sign up there. Um, it'd be a good time to join us as we'll have probably have our pre-season Patreon Q&A that month. Uh, they've always been good fun getting the patrons on live to ask us questions. So that's uh, a really good time to get involved. There'll be some other stuff coming out then as well. Uh, I would also like to say thanks to everyone who came to Christmas drinks last Saturday night. It was a lot of fun to celebrate the year with, with those who turned out up. So big shout out to James for organizing. Whilst also it was great to see Taz, Maria, Patrick, Andreas, Andrew, and Luch. Um, and finally, if I can be self-indulgent, if you're looking to spread a bit of Christmas cheer our way, um, we always do love getting reviews, uh, particularly the written ones on Apple Podcasts. So if you feel that way inclined, it's a great way to show how you feel about what we're doing here. And as I said, it does brighten my day to see those pop up. All I want for Christmas is a five-star review, mate. Yeah, you know, a few more of those um, by Christmas Day won't go astray. No, it certainly does help to to keep us motivated, but also to to get the word out there and um, and for other people to find out about us. So, yeah, those that uh, do feel that way inclined, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, look, let's get stuck into some actual lesson and chat. And look, this time last year, we, we had a whole heap of stuff going on: new coach, new new CEO, and then another new CEO. Uh, you know, it was a lot of, lot of upheaval at the club, and you know, it's been a lot calmer. It's been a lot less to to talk about from you know, an off-field perspective or a non-playing list perspective. And uh, there have been a few changes in the, in the coaching department. The, some of the assistant coaches have moved around. We've seen Blake Carousella uh, move to leading the VFL program, taking over from Lee Tudor and uh, Brent Stanton, who was on the coaching panel 
last year has moved into uh, one of the two midfield coaching roles with Gio and Syracuse. There's been some other shuffling around there and, yeah, some other additions as well. And probably the biggest one is the addition of David Rath and he's come in as uh, coaching innovation and game strategy manager. So it's already seen a shift in the training. So the main training has been moved to Saturdays, which I, I'm guessing is to best simulate a re- regular season structure, you know, getting them to build up to playing on the weekend um, as opposed to maybe working harder during midweek when, when you're in the middle of a season, you're not actually doing as hard a work. So what do you think in particular Raf will build, bring to the club as well as some of the other assistants? Yeah, I, Calm's a, a pretty good choice of words there, mate. It, it does feel that everything that we're doing at the moment is a lot more methodical and uh, and thought through and, and calculated than and certainly it was a year ago when, uh, yeah, there was a whole lot of calamity happening at the club. So, it, yeah, it's nice to... Um, yeah, yeah, to feel like that, that decisions are being made to to build upon and to to improve and elevate rather than to you know where we were when, a year ago where we were trying to clean up a bit of a mess. So, uh, so that's really nice. I, I know we've also signed a new VFL assistant coach in Luke Williams, who's come across from the Colter Cannons. It's a bit of a small world, but Luke and I used to actually open the batting together many years ago. So, uh, yeah, he he's a, 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 a you know someone who's had a lot of. Uh, experience in football working with uh you know under 18 talent and under 16 talent so uh yeah good to see more resource going towards the VFL program but on Rath I, I think it will add a lot in a lot of areas he's got a real specialist skill set in game analysis he's got a background in biomechanics and and like we're seeing with a lot of um uh, you know successful coaches lately he's got a background in teaching as well which I'm, I'm sure you'll appreciate Humi he was uh it was Clarkson's first appointment at the Hawks, so he came across from the, the Australian Institute of Sport, and, and he left a huge imprint on their successful period where they won those three flags in a row. His work is credited for taking Hawthorne from being the worst to the best-kicking side in the AFL, and, and he really worked on technique uh, and, and developing their players' kicking ability. He also worked alongside... Brad Scott and, and in fact, uh, hocking before him, analysing game trends a- across the competition and, and has got the experience of working with players and coaches in other elite sports. And his experience also transcends just coaching athletes. He's got a lot of experience in coaching and mentoring coaches. And we do have a lot of younger coaches within the group now. If you think of, you know, Stanton's not that far removed from from playing himself. Hurley's only a couple of years into his coaching career. Likewise, Jacobs and, and you know, a couple of others there. So he'll he'll really help to develop our coaches as well as our, as our players. And I also expect we'll see his skill set used to not just uh, improve our player development and individual players, but also, as you mentioned, how we set and educate and train our players on our game plan and also the work we do on opposition analysis and how we prepare our players and the tactics we adopt on a week-to-week basis. So, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. And uh, given the way that, you know, I think and absorb footy, it's going to be really fun to try and pick it all apart. Yeah, I guess we probably won't see any real development until we hit those practice matches and, you know, in, in late February and we'll get a sense of what's changed there. Look, let's turn our attention to the big news over the past month, which was the AFL draft. Uh, so it's been well over two weeks since the draft played out. So look, let's turn over the night for the Bombers and or the nights for the Bombers. Sorry, it's just three nights now. I expect in a couple of years we'll be looking at a two-week extravaganza where maybe they get through five picks a night. But, you know, don't give the AFL too many ideas, I reckon. Um, but look, first up, I think we're all really happy when 
this eventuated, but we ended up with Nate Caddy at pick 10 after having traded pick 11 and 31 to Geelong to secure that pick and therefore secure Caddy. And I know at the time, some people were frustrated. We gave up pick 31 in order to move up just one space, but it does subsequently sound like there was a lot of serious interest for Geelong's pick in order to nab Caddy. There was a suggestion that West Coast had offered their future first, which given how West Coast have gone and, you know, the, I don't know if many people have seen the pictures of um, boom draftee Harley Reid potentially copping an injury during preseason. Um, doesn't look like their luck is turning around very much. The, so they've potentially given up first pick next year um, to trade with us. But it, it does seem Geelong are really keen to get a player from this draft. And so our offer was more appealing to them and giving them that that pick in the second round there. And just to give you a bit of context on what pick 31 has done in the past, particularly um, from an Essendon perspective. So overall, a pick 31 has averaged 65 games in their career. And it's actually a pick Essendon's had quite a lot. But if you look at the list of players that we've got from that, so Andrew Yukovic, Joel Reynolds, Ariel Steinberg, Jackson Merritt, and Josh Begley, it's not necessarily a pick that we've been successful with. And I think none of those players actually made it to the the average for that pick. So it's it's not an air, a pick historically that's been a, a successful one for Essendon. So for me, I don't think it was a very big price to pay to guarantee that list need. I think if, if we hadn't taken that that chance and, you know, we, we were left with O'Sullivan on the board for us, you know, given that's a, an area of strength in terms of depth, which we'll get into later uh, as a key defender, you know, I, don't, I don't think it would have been as strong for us that night. So, look, uh, you know, there was also suggestions maybe we were into Curtin and, and we were working, trying to work our way up to the pick he eventually went at. But, you know, given a hypothetical, is there a chance that maybe if Curtin and Caddy were both available, we may have picked Curtin over him? Uh, look, it's it's hard to know, mate, whether the Curtin interest was genuine or not, uh, uh, or whether it was just a smokescreen to, to try and put, other clubs off the, you know, off the sense of who our real target was. We, we know Adrian uh, Todoro, that is in particular, you know, not, not necessarily plays games, but but does keep his cards close to his chest. And uh, you don't hear too many draft leaks when it comes to Essendon. So uh, I think if the information was out there that Curtin was our interest, then then perhaps that was, you know, information that we were happy to let, uh, you know, make its way out so that we could focus on the player that we really wanted. I think it's probably fair to say that Geelong either weren't going to take Caddy or, or couldn't split Caddy and O'Sullivan, but I think ultimately it was a pretty small price to pay to remove the risk that the player we really wanted ended up either at Geelong or at another club if the, the Cats traded uh, the pick out elsewhere. Uh, you're right, mate. Pick 31 is not a pick we've had a lot of success with, but I did do a quick look just before Simon Black and Paul Chapman were both taken to pick uh, 31. So, um, you know, let, let's hope that the players that, or the player that ultimately went at 31 is a little bit more in the Ariel Steinberg category than the Simon Black category. Yeah, we, I think we'll be kicking We'll be watching that one with great interest over the next few years to see how they develop. But look, let's turn our attention to, to Caddy. Obviously, key forward, which is the role that he has played as a junior, is one that we really need to develop in or we really need to, to get depth in. What does he particularly bring to the side with, with his talents? Yeah, he kicked 25 goals in 19 games in his nine talent league games and then averaged 6.2 marks and 16.3 disposals. So, you know, he did go through the midfield at times and 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 play a little bit there, but they're, they're really good numbers for a, a key forward at that level. I don't profess to have watched a lot of 
uh, you know, under 18 games this year or any, to be honest, and but have watched a little bit of video post-draft, uh, not just highlights, but uh, some footage here and there just to get a better feel. I think that the trouble watching highlights is that it only shows the good stuff and it's easy to get really excited on any play. So I've tried to watch a little bit, but um, I'll do a bit more of that during the off-season. But yeah, for Vic Metro... Uh, uh, he in the under 18 championships, 50% of his possessions were contested. And, and that was something that really stood out to me, his ability to win his own ball. And and just for context in the AFL, that puts him in the ballpark with some of the real big power forwards. Tom Hawkins was at 51% last season, Charlie Curnow just over 50. So yeah, some real parallels there with, with how he's going about winning the footy. I think in time, the hope is that he becomes the sort of put the team on his shoulders, grab the game by the scruff of the neck type of key forward that we haven't really had in a long, long time. Wright and Langford have, have had 50-plus goal seasons across the last two years, right in 2022 and Langford this year, obviously. But for all their skills and craft and, and ability to play deep forward, they're very much relying on what happens up the field, Where, whereas Caddy, I think, is the the type of player that, we, that can get the work done up the field and, and really help with that disconnect that we've seen between our halfback slash midfield and, and our half forward line. He's also had the benefit this year of playing some footy against senior bodies. He played two games for the AFL Academy, uh, one against the Port Adelaide Sandful side and one against Carlton's VFL side and kicked goals in both of those games and then later played for Carlton in the VFL and and uh, and kicked two goals against Williamstown. So I think that will you know really help him and, and give him some confidence coming into the year. But yeah, he's just, as I said, he's the profile player we simply don't have. I know he's drawn some comparisons to Jake Stringer and, and Jake does have that game-turning ability but he doesn't do it in the air. And I think that's where Caddy can change the profile of our forward line for years to come. And uh, unlike Stringer and, and unlike some of the work that he's done in the under-18s this year, I, I really don't think we'll see him play as a midfielder, mate. I think we'll we'll let him develop as a forward because that's where he's ultimately going to have the biggest impact for us. Yeah. You often see these sort of players, you know, have a run in the midfield because, you know, if, you, if you're one of the best players in, in that level of, of play, you you know, you've, you've got a lot of skills there and you're ahead of the the difference between the top level players in the, in the under 18s and the bottom level players in terms of skill, the, the, the gap is a lot bigger than it is at the AFL when you've got, you know, a lot more senior players and a lot more uh, higher skill level. So some of these players run through the midfield in that, in that competition, but may not be capable of doing it at AFL level. And as you say, we really want to develop him as a key forward, as long as we wash that Carlton stink, off him. Hopefully he didn't keep that uh, Carlton VFL jumper um, tucked away somewhere. It's It's been burnt before he entered the club, something like that. Yeah. If he hasn't done it yet, man, I'm happy to to do that for him. Yeah. Well, look, let's turn our attention to the, the second night of the draft where we, we ended up taking two picks. Uh, first up was Luhrmann Lowell's. He ended up uh, where our pick 35 was, but by the time with all the, the bids and the addition of, of picks and the taking away of picks, it ended up being pick 39. And uh, that was quite fortunate for us. Um, he was attached to the Bulldogs Next Gen Academy, which meant they could have matched any bid post 40. So it was a little bit sneaky of us to take him off uh, the Bulldogs' hands there where, where they couldn't match there. Um, I expect we probably would have given them a heads up in case they wanted to offer us something too good to pass up in exchange, but obviously they didn't and we've ended up taking him there. What do you think he's going to bring to the side? Yeah, didn't the Dogs fans on Twitter, or all seven of them, react really well when that went down on draft night? They, they took that in their stride. But, yeah, look, I... I've been banging on for a little while now that I really wanted to see us had some outside run to our list, you know, really for the last two years. And uh, and that's what we get with him. He, he was named in the 
Talent League Team of the Year. He played the 14 games, averaged 17.9 disposals, 3.6 tackles, 2.9 rebound 50s per game. So, you know, he did a really good job finding the ball and they're pretty impressive numbers given he played the majority of the year at halfback. He can play on the wing as well. He's, he's got that really explosive pace, but what I've liked about the the footage that I've seen of him is that he uses that in both directions. Uh, you know, you often see these tear away halfback flankers, particularly at junior level, who really only use their pace to to go one way, and, and that's when they've got the footy. But he he really does both break lines with the ball, but close space without it, and get back and, and uses his pace defensively, which I think is a really important attribute uh, these days. Or, well, it, it arguably always has been, but more so now with the high transition game that, that's that being played in modern footy. He's got some work to do on his kicking. That said, you know, we've just gone and talked about a guy who's got a great track record in improving kicking styles and, and kicking abilities. And he's also got some work to do to develop an, an AFL body. But what he does do is add depth to a position that we didn't have a lot of depth in. We, we lost Massimo, of course, and, and I thought we were already light on for, you know, halfbacks and, and small defenders. But in Lowell, you know, he's something that in time will put pressure on someone like Nick Hine for that halfback role, you know. And, and if you sort of think if – if Red, and we'll talk a bit more about list, list depth uh, a little bit later, but really if, if Redmond was, was unavailable for a game, who else have we got to – outside of what most people would expect our best 22 to look like, who else might we have to come in and play at halfback? And and I think for me, if you, you know, some might already have Hind in their side. If they don't, he's really the only other one um, before we, we've gone and, and addressed it in the draft. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a really important um, part of our list build to, to go and add some depth in, in this part of the ground. Yeah, and as as you say, given the the lack of depth in that area, there's there's a good chance for him to really, you know, maybe even stake a claim to a spot this year if he if he comes on quicker than expected. Uh, given that there's not that many players ahead of ahead of him for a spot there, but one of the um, another player that could be competing for that spot is, was our next draft pick. And look, after we had traded out pick thirty one the previous day in order to secure Caddy, yeah, our next pick wasn't scheduled until the seventies. Um, however, we we obviously spotted someone we wanted in in Archie Roberts, and we ended up trading a future fourth round pick to Richmond to get back in the draft to be able to get him. And I think given the likely tight tight list spot situation for us next year, we're keeping a lot of young talent. Uh, I don't expect we'd be looking to use a, a fourth round pick next year. Um, I'm not sure we'll have enough list spots in order to be able to do that. So it's almost uh, getting back into the draft and, and getting something we wanted for, for free in that sense. And he was one of the real sliders of the draft. So if you, you look at uh, Cal Toomey uh, for the AFL side and Jasper Chalapa for ESPN, both of them had him at, at 23 in their final rankings before draft night. So he's obviously fallen a long way down from that. And, you know, there's always one or two players who slide from where they're expected. And it seems that we're able to grab one of them. So, you know, we, we just spoke about Lowell and the need to fill that, you know, small, medium defender spot. What are we expecting someone like Roberts to bring to the side? Yeah, he was a player that was linked to Essendon a little bit, wasn't he? And and as you said, the the draft experts had him in, in that range, you know, well, anywhere from sort of late teens in some cases through to the mid-20s. So, you know, had we not traded that pick out to Geelong, it's likely we might have ended up with the same three players, um, uh, you know, had Caddy fallen through and then we kept pick 31. We might have still ended up with the same draft hand. But, yeah, again, he... 
you know, like Lowell, he's, he's at home at half back, but he can play on the wing and, you know, potentially even move into the midfield and, and play through half forward as well. Like both Lowell and Caddy, he was selected in the Talent League Team of the Year. So, you know, we've got three players through the draft that that all were, you know, in the, the what was the NAB League and now the, the Coates Talent League Team of the Year. He played all four games for Victoria in the National Championship. It's an average 20.8 disposals, 3.8 marks, six rebounds per game. He's got really good speed. He's got a, an ability to straighten and kick on that left foot that reminds me a little bit of Adam Ramanuskas, not just being a left footer, but also the way that he really does straighten and balance up. And he's quite penetrating with that boot. And he's got good endurance. He ranks seventh at the draft combine in the two-kilometre time trial. And I think I remember seeing he, he finished quite high in our own time trial the other day, didn't he, if I saw that correctly so yeah look he's, he's a player that's got skill he's, he's got some pace he's got good endurance and and really does fit the the profile of of that uh you know mason redmond style halfback flanker where as we just spoke about we don't have a lot of depth in so i think he's a he's a player that yeah should be eyeing off to play senior footy this year and or, or next year in 2024 and and um and put pressure on the likes of redmond and Hyde. yeah and you, you sort of mentioned that that endurance uh quality there and we've seen with particularly with Collingwood you know their games built around players being able to run all day uh and it's probably an area of our list that is not quite uh comparable to the, those top end teams so getting some of those quality runners in even if it you know someone who can who can run all day and, and can you know get up and down the ground is going to be really important for developing that defensive game plan and defensive profile so you're not constantly falling down and, and having teams cut you up there well, let's turn our attention to the third night of the draft with, with the rookie draft. And I was a little bit surprised, uh, you know, given our history of, of liking to look at players through uh, the preseason and picking them up as, as supplemental players. I, I was a little bit surprised that we ended up taking our, our pick in the rookie draft. But, you know, obviously there was someone available that they liked the look of. And with Vigo Vizantini, a, a 204-centimetre, 99-kilogram ruck option. And look, if you, if you can see, compare him in terms of his his weight and his height, that's actually very similar to what Sam Draper was drafted at. Draper was 202 centimetres and 100 kilograms. And, you know, that's a lot a lot more developed in body-wise than, say, a Nick, a Nick Bryan was, who was, was much more of that that skinny body type and still is fairly skinny, but is putting it on there. And I think with the addition of Vicentini, we've actually got a fairly good spread of, of ruck options. So in terms of age profiles, we've got Draper at age 25, Bryant's age 22, and, and now Vizantini as an 18-year-old, as well as the experience of Goldstein. So, I've got a, a good progression of rucks developing. And again, if, if someone like Vizantini comes on, then, you know, it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of what you do with your your ruck capital and, and looking to trade out those out to potentially fill other holes in the list there. Because we obviously are quite confident in both Draper and Bryant's capabilities as, as ruckmen. Yeah, I, I'm not that surprised that we we didn't wait for the supplemental period, mate. I, I do think that we're, we'll start to see the the wind, not the wind up completely, but the supplemental period and and the mid season rookie draft used less and less, and, and clubs holding less picks over. I think that was a uh, you know a popular option coming out of those COVID years where you know, players in Victoria weren't playing a lot of footy and, and guys slipped through. And then also scouts just couldn't get around the country to to watch guys as frequently that they might have had an eye on. So I think now that we're 
we've moved into a period where these guys are known, have played more footy and and, and they're more well-known. I think uh, clubs are, are more willing to use list spots on them. So, um, yeah, I think that the mid-season draft will really only be used for predominantly injury replacement going forward. But that said, yeah, he, he looks like a nice player, doesn't he? He's a competitive type. I think you're right. We, we've now got a, a nice spread of of age profile within our rucks. And and if Draper and, and Brian both really come on and develop, then it's going to be a nice problem to have if one of them does decide to leave for, for more opportunities. It's a it's a capital that we can use to to improve our list elsewhere. I think eventually the training wheels are going to have to come off you know, one of Draper or Brian and they become a, you know, 85% game time in the ruck type player and and the need for an experienced ruckman like Phillips or or now Goldstein is is no longer required. And and this gives us our next ruckman in line and, and he gets a chance to now get, you know, 12 or, or 24 months of development into him before Goldstein retires and, and the benefit of of losing, uh, sorry, learning his craft from Goldstein himself. So uh, yeah, great opportunity for the young man to, to get some real, um, you know, development in his first year in the football club. Yeah. Well, those are the draftees that we brought in and that completes our, our main list and our rookie uh, A list. We still do have two category B spots and hasn't been much in the way of suggestions about who that possibly could be. Uh, there were a couple of NGA players that weren't selected in either the main draft or, or the rookie draft. Uh, so they could be potentials and there's been suggestions of potential Irish players coming around, but again, no one's really been connected there. So at the moment we've, we're working off 42 players there, 38 on the main list and four on the rookie list. And so once that was completed, we're able to start getting a better sense of where the list is list is at and really sort of have a look at the, the way in which the list has been constructed and, and the depth in particular areas. And that's something you did a really deep dive in, uh, in the weeks following the draft and you did a really big breakdown on, on Twitter. Um, so you've completed that exercise. What are your general thoughts about the the state of the list? Yeah, look, I, I, th- I, th- I do think it's better. I, I mean, we, it would want to be, wouldn't it, given that we've we've gone through free, free agency and um, and trade period and and gone and and added some experienced players to our list, and then we've clearly targeted a combination of uh, the the best player slash the profile of player we really wanted for our first pick, and then uh, some real needs based um, drafting with our our final three selections. So. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll dig we'll dig into it in a little bit of detail and and start with defenders and and for this exercise and this is an exercise in in depth and uh, and list balance and profile not not list quality because I think you know that's quite subjective and we're all going to have different opinions on who's good or, or not so good in different roles but for the for the defenders and the forwards I've broken it up into three profiles key. Uh, which is essentially tall, medium, and and small. There's lots of different roles and variances within some of these roles. Uh, you know, for example, Ben McKay is not the same kind of key defender that Jordan Ridley is, and I get that. But but to simplify this, I, I've categorised them those three ways. I think already that key defensive or tall defensive area looks a lot better with Ben McKay added to it. I see us with four players on the list that really are those key or tall defenders as their prop primary position uh, as in their, the primary role that, that they'll play if they're selected in the in the 22 and there McKay who who will be 26 by the time January 1 2024 rolls around Ridley at 25 Reed 22 and Lewis Haynes 19 so 
you know, they all four of them have plenty of footy ahead of them. It's a really young key group. McKay, you know, the the most experienced in terms of age at, at 26 still has a lot of footy ahead of him. And, and I really do think they can grow uh, together. Uh, so, you know, four options there. And then we've got four guys who, you know, I, I don't necessarily think this is their primary position, but they can play there if the need arise. And, and that is Laverde, Wiedemann, Cox and, and Baldwin. Uh, and I think, yeah, as I said, this is the part of our list that has proved improved out of sight just really through the acquisition of McKay, giving us the flexibility to then use the likes of Laverde and and Baldwin in other roles and and what it means for for Ridley and the development of Reed. Um and and of course that you know that that does make the assumption that Reed gets his body right. On medium defenders, I've listed Laverde and Baldwin here as as primary primarily medium defenders because I, I think in an ideal world you don't want them playing on the 200 plus genuine key forwards they can do it if they're needed but i think i don't think that's the best position for either of them the other mediums i've got here are jake kelly mason redmond and archie roberts redmond and roberts are more attacking halfbacks so i've listed them as medium because you really don't expect to see them play on the lockdown sort of small forwards i think it's your medium style or profile of defender you typically try and free up a little bit I've then got Ridley, Cox, and Durham as players who could cover as those in that medium defense or halfback role if they were needed. And then small defenders, I've got Nick Hind, Andrew McGrath, and Lua Manol. And then uh, as our, our three genuine small defenders, uh, which again is an area that I do think we, we need to address. Uh, and then Jake Kelly, Laverde, Redmond, Durham, and Roberts, who could play as a, a small sort of lockdown defender if needed, but perhaps not their preferred uh, position. So I think overall, when we look at our defense, the defensive profile, I do think we're over-serviced for medium defenders. Heppel, Kelly, Baldwin, Laverde can all play a bit taller than they are, perhaps a little bit smaller. But I think for this balance, we're probably carrying a couple too many in that position. Interestingly, three out of the four come out of contract next year. Laverde is con- contracted to 2025. So Matt Rosa in, in his role really now does have a good chance to look at them next season and, and potentially make some tough decisions uh, in, in how we go forward in 2025 and beyond. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, as you say, more chance to learn and there's obviously spots available. That actually, I probably think our defense is fairly set in, t- in terms of who I see as, as the, the main seven there, Mackay, Ridley, uh, Laverty probably gets the first go, McGrath, Redmond, you know, you've probably got five or six spots there that, that are fairly fairly locked in and there's probably only one or two spots that are that are open for other people. But again, that could change over the course of a preseason with, with efforts in, in preseason games and, and training. Yeah, I, I think Zach Reed's the big one in all of that, mate. It, the Everything you hear about him is is how excited, you know, people at SNR about his skill set and what he can bring. It sounds like he's grown again. He's now at 205 centimetres. And, and look, I'm I'm no um, sports scientist by any stretch. Uh, but, you know, I would imagine that that, would have con- that growth would have contributed somewhat to the injuries that he's had. So if his body is right and um, and, and he gets a, a really strong preseason in, then given the excitement around him, he's going into his fourth season now on the list. Uh, realistically, he could be... Uh, you know, not just penciled, but penned into our our best back six every week, along with McKay and Ridley. And then that does have a flow-on effect on on what it means for, uh, you know, the likes of Heppel, Laverde, Kelly, 
and Borgwin. Uh, you would think that Redmond is obviously a lock, so there's four, and then McGrath's a lock as you you know you lock down small defender playing on the opposition's best small forward. So uh, if Reed is fit, there, there's five of your back seven probably locked away. Uh, uh, you know the form and injury and all of those things pending. So then it does create a bit of a logjam around that medium defense profile. You know how many of Heppel, Kelly, Laverde, and Baldwin actually get a run at the same time. And then do you need to play one of Hind or, or Lau or, or potentially both at different times or Roberts to to give yourself more run and carry off half back? Uh, because what we did see this year uh, and, and in the past is if Redmond does get locked down on, we really struggle to move the ball from half back through through leg speed. So I think we'd be reluctant to to just go in with Redmond as our only genuine running halfback. So yeah, that 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 Reed one and, and his fitness and and how he develops is a I think has a real interesting flow on effect to how the rest of our back seven um gets selected. Yeah. Just even even then probably the even bigger wild card is, is Nick Cox. And when you did this exercise for the first time, you, you sort of know that, that you hadn't put Cox, you know, in had as a having a main position. He wasn't in those top, he was sort of the floating around in the sort of could play this role, you know, in a in a pinch. So I guess, do you think defense is where where he goes, or are we going to see him in another area of the ground going forward? Yeah, I think the interesting thing with a player like him is that his flexibility is his biggest strength, and and there's a lot of chatter around trying to settle him into one position, and and I get that point of view, but to me. Uh, he and and we don't know what's going to happen with the sub yet. It, it could just be um, it could just stay as it is. There's a bit of talk that there might be five on the bench, so it might wait a little bit to depend on that. And then there's also a question mark on how we use our ruckman one or two. But he could be a player that just plays as a genuine utility. And uh, you know if if Jordan Ridley comes off for a rest, then Cox can go on and play his role for two minutes a quarter to give him a spell. Uh, if we need some relief on a wing, he can go and do that. If we need some relief as a medium defender, he could go and do that. He could pinch hit in the ruck if needed. So to me, his flexibility and and through the depth chart, I've I've listed him as a as a backup, as a key defender, as a medium defender, as a key forward, as a medium forward, as a winger, uh, and and as a ruckman. So uh, for me, for me, um, and it's probably a discussion for a deeper discussion for another day, but. But for me, I think, he, yeah, his strength is his flexibility and, and I wouldn't be pigeonholing him into any role, particularly if we do up end up in a situation where there's five on a bench and, and that could be a really powerful asset to have a player who can genuinely play in, you know, five or six different positions and, and provide relief for, you know, a number of different roles. Yeah. Let's turn our attention to the forwards. And again, you've broken it up into the, the three categories, the key forwards, the mid-sized forwards, and the small forwards. So how are our forward stocks looking heading into 2024? Yeah, really struggled on where to place uh, our our reigning Matthew Lloyd medalist in, in Kyle Langford here because he size-wise he's the profile of a medium forward, but he probably plays the role of a, you know, almost a, a, a traditional full forward in, in almost the Tony Lockett sort of, you know, way small leads on on the angles. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I did categorise him as, in, as a medium forward in the end. But key forwards, I had Peter Wright, Sam Wiedemann, Harry Jones, Jaden Hunter and Nate, Cal- uh, Nate Caddy, sorry, and and then the backups there of, of Stringer, Langford and Draper were, uh, and Cox were the, the ones that I thought, you know, could play a role there if, you know, if 
injury or suspension required. Again, it's a pretty young group there. You know, Wright's still got a fair bit of footy ahead of him, you know, only turning 27 next year. And, you know, and you know, there's a little bit more depth there than than perhaps what we've seen in previous years, but but still some big question marks as well. In the medium forwards, uh, I've got Stringer, Langford and Perkins as our only three genuine medium forwards. And then Dersma, Nick Martin, Caldwell, Durham, Cox and Hobbs as guys who could all play that role. And what I uh, what I've thought about here is is the guy you know mids or, or guys who play up the ground. But uh, there's a bit of a requirement I think to as a medium forward to be able to mark overhead. So you know I've I've chosen guys here as as depth in that role that can do that. And I think Ben Hobbs surprised us a little bit at, at times in 2023 with his ability to mark. And then the small forwards I have Gresham, Guelphy, Menzi, Wanganine, and Jaden Davy with. Shield, Hind, Merritt, and Alwyn Davy Jr. as the backup options. I think it's a big year for Wiedemann, Jones, and Hunter. All three of them come out of contract at the end of 2024. Uh, and you wouldn't think that there's a list spot for all three of them going forward. I do think we'll be eyeing off mid-size forwards as part of our list strategy going forward. Stringer at, at 29, turns 30 on Anzac Day. Langford at 27. Both players who have had injury uh, you know, history of injuries throughout their career. And, you know, touch wood, we don't see that anymore. But but what you do tend to see with guys who have had some injury concerns is once they do get towards 30 or above, if it reoccurs, they they do start to to drop off quite quickly. Hopefully that's not the case with either of them. But, you know, thinking forward, it's something that we might want to address. And then there's a question mark over whether Perkins does develop into a midfielder in time or, or splits his time, um, you know, between forward and mid. Uh, and then I think the small forwards area is a continued watch. I think Gresham plays higher up the ground than a lot of people anticipate. I, I don't think he's the genuine close to goal small forward. He'll he'll end up there through his running power, but won't be his starting position. And I think we're putting a lot of faith in Menzi, who's obviously a player that that I really rate, uh, Wangan and Jaden Davey to all come on. And if they all do come on, then great. Our, our depth in that position looks really, really good. But if they don't, and and there's potential in that, then then we do still have a problem with that for, small forward role. So again, I think we'll be looking at you know part of our this planning for 2025 will be identifying some talent in that area. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a lot more questions about what our forward line looks like than our than our back line does, which we talked about earlier. I think you, assuming people are fit, you, you're probably locking in Peter Wright, Stringer, Langford, and Gresham, and then Perkins, you know, playing that sort of hybrid forward midfield role, but, you know, do we play a second tall forward? Is the quality there or do you go all in with your, your medium forwards? You did mention that Langford can sort of play that, that full forward role. And, you know, you go back 20, 30 years, he, he saw his full forward height basically. And his build these days, you know, he's, he's quite strong in the upper body and, and can match uh, defenders on the wrestle there. So, you know, do you do you run with that, and and that obviously probably gives you more flexibility to run a second ruckman if if you're not playing that second tall forward, and then the small forwards. You mentioned Gresham. If you you think if I guess if with what you discussed, sort of consider the role that Snelling would play where he was getting up the ground, but in Gresham you've got a player that's got a lot more a lot higher skill ceiling there to to play that play that role. So you would expect a lot more of a damaging uh, player than rather just sort of a, a negating forward like Snelling ended up being. And again, as you say, there's a whole heap of opportunity to, to lock down a small forward position. I, I agree with you. I think Menzi starts in that position, but, you know, he's not he's not a lock in the side. And, you know, players like a Wanganine or a, or a Davey coming on 
uh, could leapfrog that spot quite easily. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a couple of things. One, the the decision around a second Ruckman or not uh, in the, the 22 then has a flow-on effect, I think, to whether or not you play right with a Jones or a Wiedemann or a Caddy uh, or or you don't uh, because, you know, I think, you know, you spoke about earlier and, and I agree, you know, we really got torn up for a lack of run and, and players who can run up and down the ground. And part of that is not having players that could run and, and we've gone and addressed that with Gresham and, and Dersma and then, you know, the likes of Roberts in the draft. But I think it's also because we we effectively carried a second Ruckman throughout the season, uh, you know, probably at times to our own detriment because Draper, you know, didn't have the capability to ruck you know, 85% of the game. And then we didn't have right in the team for for a large chunk of the year either to, to be that second Ruckman. So I think that's one flow on effect. And then when you look at the mediums, when we speak about the, the medium defenders, you've got a group of players there that are quite interchangeable. They have sort of different strengths or weaknesses, but neither of them, at least to me, and, and people will have different views, but, you know, Baldwin and Heppel and uh, Laverde and the like, Kelly, none of them really, for different reasons, scream I'm a lock in the best 22 whereas we don't have as many medium forwards as we do medium defenders but on talent all three of them in Stringer, Langford and Perkins if they're fit and up and running all three of them are are a lock in our best 22 players let's um, put aside structure but then what's the best balance for the team and how do you play those three in a forward line you know, with the likes of Wright and maybe Jones and and then what does that mean for for your small forward? So I, I think getting the balance right is the challenge because those three medium forwards on talent and ability all sort of pick themselves. But uh but yeah, how how that balances out I, I think for me is the big question mark. I think one way it could one way one thing that could solve the problem potentially is if Draper's forward craft comes on. We saw a little bit of it last year playing a deep forward, being able to take grabs. And yes, his finishing is not great, but again, he he can outmark most key defenders there. And that would then have allow Wright to go up the ground and be that, you know, that up and down the ground option. And we've seen in the past with him that he has actually played that role pretty well and can still go on the scoreboard. If you think back to his game against the Bulldogs uh, back in 2022, uh, when he did kick, uh, not 2022, sorry, 2021, when he did kick those goals, uh, the seven goals and, you know, was was the most dominant player on the ground, that was playing up the ground a fair bit more than being that, you know, centre square forward. So I think that is a way it could potentially work if Draper's forward craft comes on at, therefore he can be, you know, a second ruckman, plus you get that player being able to run up and down the ground in right and be a target there. So I think that's potentially a way it could work. But then if you are playing those, how does those those three mediums fit in? Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum that they're going to have to work out. Yeah, I mean, we're also talking about a mythical situation where every player is fit and available, right? Which, you know, uh, been a long time since that's happened. So it'll be a good problem to have, but uh, you're right. I, I think for me in, in going through this exercise, it's pretty easy for me to identify five defenders and then fill those last couple of roles depending on what the rest of the side might look like. But that forward balance and forward mix for me is, yeah, is a little bit harder. Yeah. 
All right, well, look, let's turn our attention to the engine room and, and look in the, the midfield. And there's four categories here. So, obviously, Ruckman and then you've broken mids up into inside mids, uh, in-out mids and outside mids. So, just explain to people what you mean, the difference between particularly those categories of mids there. Yeah, well, well Rucks, mate, they're, they're obviously those really tall players that, that uh, get hit outs and stuff. Uh, no, uh, I'm being facetious, of course. I the, Again, there's lots of different profiles of, of players and, and um, intricacies in this, but to, to me, for the to simplify this exercise, an outside player isn't someone who can't get a hard ball or a contested ball or, or shirks contests or anything like that. Purely, they're players who I think play their best footy on a wing um, and, and play effectively outside the contest. Inside mids are those that do their best work at the coal face, so winning contested ball and then getting the ball out to, you know, our, our distributors. And then in-out players are, are guys who can win their own ball and spread. They're, they're the ones that go in at centre bounce and stoppage. Uh, and and I guess to, to give you a, a, some examples, if you think of Will Setterfield as that profile of that inside ball winning, um, hard uh, contested midfielder, Darcy Parrish, who does a bit of both. He can win his, his own contested ball, but he also gets on the spread and runs and, and, and breaks away from clearance. And then Sam Durham is, you know, a player who's played predominantly on the wing as an outside player. And, you know, obviously we'd all acknowledge that Sam Durham's not a, a player who's afraid of the contest. It's just that's where he sets up. So in terms of rucks, you know, we spoke about this before. We've got the four primary ruck, many Goldstein, Draper, Brian, and Vicente. I think, we then have three guys who can back up and, and play as a ruckman if you know none of those four were available. And that's Peter Wright, Sam Wiedemann, and, and Nick Cox. I think that's you know a, a really good balance to have. Probably one ruckman too many on a list, I, I reckon, given the given that we have Wright and Cox there in particular, who who are ruckman size and and can play that role effectively if needed. Uh, but, you know, really we've got Goldstein to help get us through the next year or two with the hope that Draper and, and Brian can improve and develop their bodies and fitness. And then Vicente comes on. From an inside mids perspective, as I said, these are the guys that that hunt the footy and, and primarily distribute. They do their best work at the contest. As I said, I have Setterfield, Caldwell and Hobbs in there. And then, Stringer, Parrish, Perkins, and Nick Martin as the backups if, if those three weren't available. And then the inside-out midfielders, those guys that win their own footy and spread, can also carry the, the ball and, and you know get involved in clearance. I have Shield, uh, Merritt, Parrish, Martin, Sardis uh, as, as the five there. I should note that throughout this, I've, I've listed the guys in age order, not in um, any sort of ranking order. Uh, and then Gresham, Caldwell, and Durham as the backups who can go in and, and, and play uh, those kind of roles. And then the outside mids, you know, your, your wingers and, and running players. I've got Dersma, Durham, Alwyn Davey, who I who I do see more as, as a midfielder than a forward, with Scheel, Hind, Cox, Roberts, and Lyle as the backups. And then depending on how Perkins and Martin develop and the role that they play, I, I do think we're probably looking at and another inside midfielder to add to our list next year. Uh, you know, with, with still a little bit of a question mark on Setterfield and, and what he can be for us. 
you know, unfortunately, we didn't see enough games out of him this year. And then, you know, Caldwell and Hobbs, two really, really talented and bright young players, but, uh, you know, still developing. I, I think contingency-wise, we probably want to add another inside mid to our list uh, in, you know, in, next, in the next year or two. Uh, subject to how Perkins and Martin develop. If those two do go and play a bit more as an inside or an inside-out mid this year, then then we could very well see that the need to add from outside the list as, as redundant. But, yeah, I think overall, as, as we sort of said at the start, the, the list, the depth of the list looks better than it was 12 months ago. The balance looks a lot better than it was. I think, you know, as I said, keep in mind this is an exercise exercise in those two areas, depth and balance, not necessarily quality. I think there's still plenty of question marks on quality, but the work that we did do to, to get those four players through free agency and trade, the, the quality is obviously better than it was a year or two or, or a year or so ago as well. Yeah, I think just, just looking at, at the, the mids there and there, I think if everyone was fit, I, I still feel like there's probably only one or two of those you know, mainline mids, the one the ones you've identified as that as their main role is missing out. I think if you if you look at teams that are up the top end and, and are developing really strong midfields, they've probably got another two or three, you know, genuine midfielders on their lists that court that can create, you know, that that pressure for spots and, you know, are, are playing in the VFL each week, but can cut them up and and play a role in, in the AF in the AFL side. And, you know, given we've just spoken about potentially you have players uh coming off the the mid Defenders list at the end of the year, we could look to fill those spots with with midfielders to try and build that depth there. And again, that would also help with the VFL program and that that helps with improving the side. But, you know, I think we're, we're probably coming down to, obviously Shields had a bit of an injury setback uh, already and, you know, he's probably pushing to be ready for round one. Uh, and even then you, you're probably coming down to one of potentially Caldwell Hobbs or, or Sardis missing out on, on round one, uh, just with the way in which the mids were all set a field, sorry, as well. So you probably, you know, one, one or two of them probably don't play round one along with, with Shield if he's, if he's, you know, really struggling to come back from that injury there. So again, if you probably not as many questions about who plays, uh, in the midfield, but again, just, you know, how do they structure up? Do they potentially let, you know, players like Hobbs or Caldwell um, or Martin take more of the responsibility through the midfield rather than relying so much on, on Parish and Merritt there. Yeah, I think the, the the balance does look better. I think, yeah, question mark, a, a little bit about some depth here and, and depth quality through the midfield, I, I think is still a little bit of concern. And then I think the other one is is star power. We know that, that Zach Merritt's a, a genuine star of, of the competition uh, and, you know, carries a lot of burden in there. We know, you know, how good Parrish is around the contest and a clearance and, and what he can do there. But what we don't have is that, uh, you know, that there's very, very few Dustin Martins. In fact, there's probably ever only really been the one of them. Uh, but, you know, Petrarca and the, the impact he had in, in helping Melbourne win a grand final, Dugowie on grand final day and through that final series, those mids that can go in there, win their own ball, carry it out and, and hit the scoreboard as well. That's the piece that we're not sure whether we have yet and, and is, is the missing piece in this mix. And that could be Perkins. It could be Sardis. It could be Nick Martin. It could be all three of them, uh, but there's still question marks there. So, you know, Matt Roser as, as our new, uh, you know, uh, list manager or, or um, what is, whatever his title is these uh, next year, that's the decision that he's going to make when he's looking at, at acquisition targets, either through trade, free agency or draft, is whether 
we see Martin Sardis or or Perkins being able to fulfil that role. And, uh, you know, we kind of have some some really exciting question marks in all thirds of, of the ground about that capability. And, and actually, you can add the ruck in there as well to a fourth. Um, you know, Zach Reed could be a genuine star key defender for us if he gets his body right and if he develops and fulfils his potential. Sam Draper could be an All-Australian capable ruckman if he can increase his fitness, increase his ability to stay in the game for longer. Nick Martin or Elijah Sardis or, or Archie Perkins could be that real dangerous breakaway explosive midfielder who can win their own ball and then carry it and then use it really well and hit the scoreboard. Uh, and then we have, you know, a question mark over Jones or Caddy. Can they be that really dominant aerial, you know, high marking center half forward for us? And, they're the they're the big question marks for me. I, I guess in an optimistic way, because if those players do come on, then all of a sudden our list looks a hell of a lot better than than it does just through this exercise. If they don't, then we obviously still have some challenges to to go and get some talent to to fill those holes. So yeah, they're, they're the players that I'm really looking forward to watching develop this year and seeing whether they can improve their consistency and and the impact that they have on this football side. Yeah, and, and just to sort of wrap up with this extensive look at the list, given the acquisitions we've had and, you know, extra years into, into the players that we've drafted in over the past few years, we're not exactly a overly young side anymore. So if you compare our list to the rest of the competition, we're, we're 12th for average age and, and we're 7th for average games played. And, you know, that actually lines up really well with with a team like Port Adelaide. They're, they're 11th for age and, and ninth for game. So we're not exactly a young side anymore. Now, the difference for, say, a Port Adelaide and an Essendon is that Port Adelaide have had a, a Ken Hinckley there for, for a decade with, with a similar message and, and putting on a, you know, building building on a game plan, whereas we're only the second year into the Brad Scott era going into next year. So there is a difference there in terms of level of expectation you know, of developing and understanding a game plan. But, you know, and I think you could probably say that Todd Goldstein is a bit of an outlier and, and probably, uh, you know, pushes our pushes our numbers out a little bit there, probably more than he might actually, he might actually play in actual AFL games. But, you know, I think the excuse of being young and developing is less going into next year. And, you know, I, I still do think there needs to be time to develop an effective game plan, but, you know, we can't just say, oh, we're, we're a young side and, you know, we're developing. I think there needs to be a bit more pressure given the nature of the list at the moment. Yeah, I think that's all fair comments, mate. We we have every right to, as fans, to demand and expect a level of improvement. I think what we would hope in, in order for this this to develop and and for this team to get better and and ultimately take us into to winning finals and and winning a premiership is this continuity. I, I just was quickly trying to look up the number. I, I did the exercise a couple of weeks ago, but but we have turned over somewhere in the vicinity of uh, you know almost forty players over the last four years. So you know we have moved in and out a lot of players, and and you know so it's not just been. Uh, changes to to coaches and uh, and uh, you know administration staff and and the like and, and at board level, there's been a lot of changes to our list too. And and obviously, within that, to make that many changes, you've had players who have come and gone in a short space of time. So continuity is going to be really important, and that's why the development of of 
you know, the guys that we were just talking about, those guys that are sort of 21 to 24 is going to be really, really important. Because if they don't, if they don't come on and develop and fulfill their potential and we have to replace them, then, you know, we're, we're back in that process that we've been in over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, I guess the, the thing that we know now is that we have had that investment in into development coaches. Uh, we've got some stability uh, in, you know, the administration and in the coaching group. And, and if that can now have an influence on on getting the best and extracting the best out of those players, then this list looks really, really good and, and really, really healthy and, a good, and a, in a good spot to then add to over the next couple of years instead of having to gut it and try and start again as, you know, fundamentally we have done over the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, look, let's let's start gazing into our crystal balls and, and start turning our attention to, to next year and we, what we think might happen or what we want to see happen. And, um, we put out a Google form uh, with the questions we're going to address tonight to some of the listeners. We had over 30 responses there and going to try and touch on a few of those responses from the listeners because they had some really good ideas and thoughts there. And we'll, we've been going at this for almost an hour, so let's get stuck into it. Uh, the first question was, what stat will you be keeping your eye on the most to gauge whether the Bombers are improving? And uh, so not direct, not a stat that's easy to track, but uh, Patrick Ryan, Justin Sullivan and SMP all mentioned stopping opposition transition. So keeping an eye on how many times we let the opposition move the ball from our forward 50 to their forward 50. That was what they were going to focus on. And it sort of leads into what I my focus is. So I think I've spoken a lot about intercept differential being a really good marker of, of successful side. So winning more intercepts than, than you give away to your, your opposition. So I think building on what the listener said, if we can build a more positive differential, we're likely to be generating more attacking thrusts than we're receiving, which gives you more of an opportunity to win games, particularly if that lines up with a high amount of mid-zone turnover. So turning the ball over between the arcs, so, so getting those intercepts uh, between the arcs there. So if you think about when we were playing at our best last year at the start of the year, we, most of our intercepts were occurring in our defensive 50 because we were setting up at the back. And yes, that, that helped us limit scores, but it also restricted some of our attacking options because it gave our opponents more time to set up as we move the ball down the ground. So if we get more effective at stopping chains further up the ground, then we'll likely create more efficient scoring opportunities and, and then more likely to result in wins. Yeah, I, we spoke, I can't remember now whether it was just before the grand final or just after the grand final, but we we sort of dug into the top four and, and we saw a really different profile of uh, across those four teams and, and those four teams were doing some things really, really differently. So uh, I'm actually keen to see how we play in, in the two practice games and see what changes are there before I lock in on, on some things that, uh, that I'm going to measure, but on the surface of where we are now and, and, and looking for improvement in, in how we play and improving performances. I think you're right. Those, those mid zone turnovers, how often we were able to turn the ball over or, or um, intercept between the arcs. And then scores from forward 50 turnovers uh, are two that, you know, I'm going to keep a real close eye on. And then the other one, which is sort of related to that, is opposition inside 50s. I think we we ultimately need to to reduce the the scoring opportunities that we're providing to the opposition through allowing them to get the ball inside 50 as frequently as we do. So I think if we can address those three areas, it's going to make us a better football team defensively. And then... In terms of offensively and 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 helping us to score more and and move the ball forward, I think our ground ball rate, particularly inside fifty and around the ground, is going to have to um, improve a lot. So, 
uh, yeah, I don't think we we were particular. We've been particularly successful at at getting even numbers or out numbers from contests post clearance, uh, and, and then being able to to win the ball in those areas. So I'll be keeping an eye on that as well, mate. Yeah. Uh, the next question was, what is the major gameplay change you'd like to see? And uh, Alex, Matt Brown, and Andrew Bucock all spoke about the way we enter inside fifty, wanting to see more delivery to leading players rather than long bombs, which is what we saw particularly towards the end of, of the season. And look, I'm in terms of gameplay changes, I'm also looking at that forward half, but I'm more about the defensive aspects of that, that forward half. Um, we obviously saw them try to implement a much more forward half game plan across the second half of last year. And given the injury uh, concerns we had and the fact that too many players were relied on for too long and they got tired, um, throughout the year, um, I want to see how we go when we have a, a fitter list and, and players with with more experience. And I hope we we keep trying to play that way. Um, it didn't show with the result. It didn't work out in results last year. We lost more than we won when we were trying to play that. But that doesn't mean it's not the right way to go about playing the game moving forward. I feel. Yeah, I'm with you there, mate. I, I think getting that defensive line set higher is going to be really important. Which you know, Ben McKay. And, and his acquisition to the club will help us with and the flow-on effect that that has on Jordan Ridley. I think that should really help us to make the ground smaller. That will then actually make delivery inside the forward 50 harder at times because we'll be moving the ball back into a more congested and contested area. But that's where the craft of Gresham is important, the development of Menzi, uh, and, and probably adding another genuine small creative forward to that mix because, uh, you know... I don't want to discredit a player like Will Snelling, who, uh, you know, played a lot more AFL football than I ever did and, and ever will, and and also squeezed the absolute most out of himself. But when a player like him got up the ground and, and tried to clear out the forward 50, his opponent wasn't going to follow him because he he wasn't dangerous, whereas an opponent will follow Gresham. Menzi needs to develop into a goal threat and, and becoming a player that a, a defender is going to need to follow. And then we need to see if we can get that from, you know, one of the Davies or from, from Wanganine as well. And, uh, and if we have that, then I, I think that aids in, in having a, a, a more open forward line with more leading lanes for the likes of Wright and Langford and Stringer and, and the like to move into. And then the other pieces, just Wright and Langford playing together and, and getting some continuity. They they would have only played what ten times together as a as a forward duo. So I think there's a, a little bit of time element that comes with that as well. And you know, a preseason training together as as forwards. I think you know Langford was was training as a halfback flanker, wasn't he for for a lot of last preseason? Yeah, he wasn't. You know, just. We sort of lucked in, lucked into it, finding out about Langford as, as a forward. Although a lot of people suspected that that might have been his best, best position, and you know sometimes you've got to take your lucky breaks and, and roll with them. And we're obviously going to start him there this year. And as you say, getting that combination between right and him right is going to be a big part of how successful we are going forward. Moving on to question three, which was what is your biggest question mark going into twenty twenty three? And uh, Pat Dunn. Uh, brought up something which we touched on earlier in the show was whether we can play two rucks going forward. It did seem that Brad Scott was keen on that. Um, even when we had, you know, Wiedemann and Jones, uh, or we were playing two key forwards, we were also often playing uh, two rucks in, in Draper and Phillips at, at the start of the year when we had, as I said, uh, Jones and, and Wiedemann. And even then when we had Wiedemann and Wright for a few weeks, we often played those, the two ruckmen, whether that was Brian or and Phillips there as well. So, um, 
we'll see how that goes. We've, we've touched on that earlier in the night. For me, um, we've touched on the question marks earlier about the forward line. I'm also keen to see how they manage the midfield rotations. I mentioned before, um, do they rely on the old guard or do they trust younger players like Hobbs and Caldwell? And then if you trust those younger players and they can perform for you, then you don't have to put so much pressure on a, a merit in a parish and you might get more effective time out of them rather than running them into the ground. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a, it's a good one. A good hypothesis, mate, that that midfield rotations is, is one that, so the forward mix that we've already spoken about a fair bit and, and then also how we manage those midfield rotations are the, the best, uh, the two for me. And then if I can be a little bit cheeky and add a third, it it is that ruck piece and, and do we go one ruck or two? And and my preference is to go back to to one ruck for all the reasons that I've already spoken about. So yeah, I, I think there's still lots and lots of, of little question marks, but if we're talking big ones, then it's that it's that forward mix and balance. It's the the midfield rotations and how we increase the number of players running through there and then one ruck or two. Hmm. All right, let's turn to question four, and it was who will be the 2024 breakout player? And the, the biggest response was for Archie Perkins. It, it, it's going to be his time, his, his fourth year, and six people had him as their pick. So uh, some people, including Craig McGill, Jacob Sleater, and Chris Berkner, all all have Perkins as being that that breakout player. You know, he's, he's basically played full three full seasons of AFL level over, over fifty games. So you know, he's right. He's right set in, in the experience sense to be able to, to break out there. But uh, for me, I'm backing Nick Cox in here. It looks like you know, barring something some bad injury, he's going to get a full preseason in, which he hasn't had for a couple of years. And, you know, we've spoken about him being utility, having a lot of flexibility there, but I do hope they, for the most part, they do try and find a, a position for him. I think Dice, the, the role Dyson Hepper was playing last year, I think that's Cox's to to take. And if he can have a big preseason and take that role, um, I think that gives him a role where he can be that flexible. You know, he can roll back and, and fill a spot in the, you know, you know, filling in for a Ridley um, as an intercepting defender or pushing up and, you know, delivering into the forward line, you know, pushing up at the wing being a target there. So I think that is a spot for him to take. And, you know, Heppel is, is coming towards the end, although he's probably had his best year in many years last this season. So again, it's, it's a big challenge for him, but I think with a full preseason, he can be that breakout player this year. Yeah, I'm with the consensus on Perkins, mate. It's his fourth season. He's seemingly got himself a lot fitter and not the only one by the looks of it, mind you, which is great to see. But I, I really do think he'll elevate himself. But uh, I'll, to to avoid sitting on the fence and, and, and joining the popular crowd, if I can add another name, it, it's Jaden Laverde. I think he'll have a big year. I think we've been too quick to write him off. And, and we're overlooking the fact that for a couple of years now, we've asked him to do some massive, massive jobs and, and jobs that he's he's not physically equipped to do. I think with McKay back there now, I think we'll see him, you know, freed up a little bit and, and rejuvenated. I think we've we've lost sight of his ability to to run and 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 explode and, and his foot skills are, are pretty good too. So yeah, I, I think it could be a big year for him, mate, and, and we'll see a, a, a more free and and better player because of it. Next question was, which player has the most to prove in 2024? And listeners really focused on our taller players. So Jones and Reed came up quite a lot. 
Uh, Vince Tanskunas brought up there's, there's more challenges now for Jones' spot, um, particularly with players like Hunter and, and Caddy. And given he's only been given a, a one-year deal, he'll have to demonstrate a lot of growth in order to maintain his spot on the list uh, post next year. Yeah, he certainly will, mate. I uh, I think it's a long list. I, I tried to think of one and, and couldn't. Uh, you know, so there is Jones and, and Wiedemann, you know, coming out of contract, uh, Hunter as well. Uh, then, you know, Stringer, Laverde, who I just talked about, McKay and Gresham have come to the club on on big contracts. So they'll feel, at least within themselves, that they have a lot to prove. Dersmer, after asking for a trade away from Port Adelaide, a team that, you know, finished in the top four this year, it will feel like he's got a lot to prove. Then there's, you know, Kelly and Hind also out of contract. McGrath going into his free agency year. So, you know, there's lots and lots of players. Probably everyone on the list has has something to prove, maybe with the exception of Zach Merritt. I'm not sure there's a lot more that he can do to to prove himself, but but he seems like the time who the type who wants to get better and better every year. You know, Langford will want to, to prove that it wasn't just a one-off, right? Will want to prove that he can get back to to the player that he was in 2022. So I think there's reasons for for every player to have a point to prove in 2024. Yeah, if I, to me, if I was going to pinpoint one player, I think it, it's Dylan Shield. He's got a fair bit to prove. So even even at the start of last year, when he was he was fit, he um he'd moved out of that first choice centre bounce rotation for the first time uh, since he'd arrived at the club. So he only attended forty six percent of centre bounces uh, in twenty twenty three, which is by far his lowest uh, centre bounce attendance uh, since he's arrived at the club. And you know, coupled with the injuries he suffered. Uh, the talk around the St Kilda trade and, and being the last year of his contract, I expect he's going to want to show both Essendon and the rest of the competition that he's still capable of being one of the best midfielders in the league. And obviously, he's had a setback with his injury, but you know, he, we've we've seen that he obviously prepares generally very well to play. So you know, even if he's coming back, you know, mid season, he's he's still probably got a lot to prove there and, and show what his value is to, to AFL sides heading forward. Yeah, fair point, mate. It is a big year for him. Uh, question from one of our youngest listeners, four-year-old Abraham Bucock wanted to know, how much will we see of our eight new additions in the AFL this year and how much VFL will they play? Yeah, look, well, thanks for the question, Abraham. So for me, I would expect each of Gresham, Mackay and Dersma to play every game in the AFL side if fit, barring you know a catastrophic loss of form for each of them. I think we haven't brought them into to be VFL players, we've brought them in to improve the quality of the AFL side. And, you know, they're probably going to play most games, if all, if not all. Uh, Goldstein will depend on the fitness of, of other Ruckman. He's obviously someone who's, who's supremely fit and, you know, doesn't miss many games generally. So, you know, I, I would expect to see him in probably more than half the AFL games uh, that we play. Uh, he probably gets some rests and, you know, they, they may want to run Draper or Brian ahead of him at, at some stage but I probably see him playing at least 11 or 12 games. And then for the draftees that have come in, I think Caddy's the obvious one that will get some games, particularly if he performs in the VFL, given that we need players in that role. Uh, Lowell and Roberts are probably a lot more raw um, and need some time in the VFL until they're ready. But as we said earlier in the show, given that we play in it, given their their positions are areas where we have clear uh, roles that need to be filled, um, if someone else isn't locked in down a spot. I wouldn't be surprised to see one of them get games sometime this year. And look, Vigo's developing ruck, uh, developing ruck. So if, if he's getting game times, I think we're in a bit of big trouble there. 
Yeah, we we certainly are. I think even then, mate, we, we probably wouldn't play him when there's the likes of Cox and Wright uh, available. It, it is a really good question. And thanks again, Abraham, for sending that through. I think, obviously, the, the three um, trade or free agent targets, Goldstein aside, will we'll, you know, we'll be hoping will be available to play every game in, in Gresham, McKay and Dersma. So I think, mate, we'll see. We'll see all of them that they're there. We'll see them every week that they're fit and available for. And then Goldstein, I think, will depend on how Draper or how quickly Draper is um, is back up to speed. I don't know if we'll go with Brian as a, a number one and solo ruck, but um, and that might mean we'll see Goldstein uh, early in the season. Uh, but yeah, hopefully. Draper can get himself super, super fit and and we don't see all that much of Goldstein. I think that would ultimately be a good thing for for the development of our list. But yeah, I, I'm expecting that we'll probably see Goldstein play half the games. And then of the four draftees, I think we'll, we'll be keen to get Caddy some games under his belt and give him a taste of senior footy. I think we might see you know him for five, five or six games. I don't think we'll see Lowell this year. I think he's still got a fair bit to do physically to develop his body. But I wouldn't be surprised if Roberts comes in and plays you know half a dozen games or more. Or if, you know, we, we think uh, back to Massimo, he played eight games last year and we haven't really recruited anyone who plays his position. So I think Roberts could could get those games. So I think we'll see a little bit of him. But yeah, th- there's nothing wrong with with those three guys or, or four, with, if we include Virgo. Uh, sorry, Vigo having, um, you know, playing most of their games in the VFL um, and, and developing there with, a, you know, a, a little bit of, VFL depth added to the squad, an improved AFL depth and and hopefully a healthy list, then uh, playing in the VFL should be really good for player development next year. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's do the speed round and we'll go through four questions uh, with one word answers and no explanation there. So, look, Jono, who's going to win the Crichton next year? Martin. Martin, I'm going to say Ridley. Uh, Who's going to top the goal kicking? Right. Right. Who's going to be the first debutant? So that's any player that hasn't played games yet. So there's eight players on the list that haven't played a game yet. Uh, I'm going to say Roberts. I'm going to say Caddy. And how many wins does Essendon finish within 2024? Pass. 12 minimum for me. I think, I think, I think there's a good chance that we can improve next year, but that, just because we improve doesn't mean we make finals. It depends on how everyone else goes around us. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Look, I I do think if we keep a healthy list, uh, and that's the big question mark, isn't it? Player availability. If we can do that, then then we should be expecting to to win more games than we did this year and, and improve, and and that you know more or less would would get us into the finals. Uh, but if we don't, uh, and it has been a problem for a long time now then then it's going to be harder for us so uh so yeah i uh, yeah it's, it's i find that one a really really hard one to answer for lots of reasons i could see us winning enough games to finish sixth i could see us um you know a situation where we you know we we finish 12th or 13th again so um yeah it's it's a broad spectrum with a lot of improvement and a lot of a lot of question marks but i am genuinely excited to see how it all unfolds next year i, I do think we are better place than, than we were 12 months ago. Yeah. And just, just for the record, most of the listeners had us around the 13 to 14 win mark. One person had us at 16. So I, I like their confidence and hopefully that's the way it turns out. Well, look, let's 
start to wrap up the show. And as it's the last show of the year, we'll, we'll probably be a bit self-indulgent here, just sort of reflect on the year that was for, for Don the Stat. And look, we've said this a lot, but we've come a long way from the start of 2022 when we had 30 people listen to us on, on Twitter spaces. Uh, so the growth of the show has just been incredible. And the fact that people keep coming back to listen to us makes me feel very chuffed. And I know you appreciate very much as well, Jono. And, you know, the listeners listener aren't the only reason we do the show, but, you know, the, they're a big reason of why we do this show uh, week in, week, week out through the season. Um, the fact that people are willing to to listen to us and re- respect what we have to say or, or want to discuss things with us. The fact that people want to, you know, are willing to pay some of their hard earned to help us run the show and it blows me away and I know it does for you. And, you know, just, just to reflect on the, the Patreon community, you know, it's, it's only something we've, we've built this year, but, you know, it's something that's really grown as, as a, as a group of people that, you know, want to, want to discuss football at, at, a, at a deeper level than, than what we get, you know, through, you know, the mainstream footy shows that, that we get that, you know, we, we want to talk about Essendon in a much deeper way and, and sort of really get get stuck down to, to what the issues are and, and how we can improve it. So, you know, some of the discussions that we've had with, with people on the Patreon have been really important to helping me develop my understanding of Essendon and help me develop how I see where the club is going as well. So, and even, even then, you know, the fact that we've got to meet so many great people um, through doing this podcast, um, you know, we've, we've done a few meetups and I haven't met anyone who isn't a, a fantastic person uh, through doing this show. And, you know, I've, I've even made some really good friends out of, out of doing it. So I really want to say thank you to, to all listeners and ever, anyone who's come along and, and, and chatted to us and come up and said they really like the show. It, it really, uh, as I said, it blows me away. And yeah, I, I can't believe that um, it keeps, it keeps growing and yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it more next year. Yeah, well said, mate. I don't think either of us really had any idea what we were getting ourselves into when it started, and and uh, we didn't have any any real plans for it. We we just keep taking things as it comes. But the the community aspect has has most definitely been the the best part. Uh, well, equal to at least uh, getting to to catch up with you on a regular basis and and talk about something that we're both really passionate and and care deeply about. But yeah, the the stories of of Essen fans and and listening to uh, and getting to know people and, and and how they got involved with with the club that we love and uh, and you know how they watch the footy and the people that they go to the footy with and and all of those stories have been uh, fabulous. We had a great time on Saturday night, uh, you know, just recently learning about that. So uh, yeah, it, it has been a big year, mate. It, it's it's got bigger and bigger. And you know, we were we were chatting even uh, just last week that this is the first time. We've been on air for over a month now, but we've still had thousands of downloads in the last month, uh, and and people going back and listening to shows that we've put out, and, and new people finding us, which is, uh, yeah, something that I still can't wrap my head around. So, uh, yeah, it, it's been a good year, or it's been a great year of Don the Stat, uh, and yeah, looking forward to to bigger and better things for us next year. Absolutely. Well, look, let's let's wrap up. Up tonight's episode is going for a fair bit of time and I think people are probably moving towards their their switch off buttons. But look, I just want to thank everyone who's joined us uh, on the show this year. So our bonus episode guests, Greg Martin, Liam Crowhurst, Anthony Perkillo, Jade Hockey, Philip Crooks, Alex Fair and Ben Jolly, uh, as well as those who joined us um, on our regular episodes, uh, Rick Edwards, uh, Robert Shaw, Ricky Mangitis and, and Andrew Walsh. And in particular, thanks to your brother for filling in when, when I got sick this year and, and couldn't do the show. So um, thanks for helping to keep the show going. Um, 
as we said, or thanks heaps to our patrons who are brave enough to join us, uh, particularly during our, our live Q and A shows, and, and willing to ask their questions. Every question we got asked was, you know, really well thought out and, and made us think about our answer and the responses. Again, we got off that again, really well thought out, and you know, again, help helps our understanding. Hopes hopefully helps everyone else's understanding and, and, and viewpoint there. Um, those Patreon Q and As were, were some of my most enjoyable moments of the year, and we'll definitely be doing more of them next year. And Look, big thanks to you, Jono, all the effort you put in, the research that you do, um, the time that you take um, with the show, not only the show itself, but all the engagement that you do um, with the fans. A lot of people, I know a lot of people come to you and, and ask you questions, both, you know, uh, on Twitter and, and now on Facebook as well. And I know people direct message you a lot and, and ask for your opinion. And that takes up a lot of your time. And you, I can tell that you're very giving um, of your time to people. You don't, you know, you're not giving people the cold shoulder, you know, you're being really patient with them. So um, I think that's really amazing. And, and obviously your idea of the countdown, um, I've contributed some of the ideas, but uh, you know, the the graphics you've been doing and, and the work you've been putting in getting that together each day has been um, top notch and, you know, do, doing the show continues to be amazing fun and I'm glad we're still doing it next year. No, thank you, mate. Uh, it's uh, difficult to hear. It's, <laughs> but thank you. No, I really appreciate those words and, and thank everyone for who has reached out, but yeah, it should be said, mate, that, that this doesn't happen without the tremendous work that you do keeping me and us organized and on track and, and, you know, putting running sheets together and, and doing a lot of research and uh, your, just your growth in your football knowledge has, has come a hell of a long way. And it's something that, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really proud of mate. So yeah, thank you for your effort and, uh, and everything that you've done. Uh, and just quickly before I, I drop out, I do um, uh, Watson's troops are the, who we've met through a couple of the catch-ups or he's at least that's his moniker on Twitter has, has sort of dropped off since the end of the season. So uh, uh, we know it's not uncommon for him to take a little bit of a Twitter hiatus, but just want to shout out and and if he's okay or, or hope that he's okay. And uh, yeah, drop us an email, mate, and let us know where you are because we, we, uh, we haven't heard from you for a little while. So hopefully you're okay. Yeah, definitely want to hear from you, Watsons. And again, fingers crossed everything's okay. Um, the last person I do want to want to thank is uh, Mike Reed, who's been helping us with our with our stats and, and getting all that together. It, it's made getting the show together a lot easier, and he's put in, put in a lot of time and uh, to make sure that 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 gets up each week. And you know he hasn't asked for anything in return. So big shout out to him, and and thanks for all he's uh, done for us this year. Yeah, Mike, you've been incredible, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, look that. Wraps up Don the Stat for 2023. We'll be back uh, in January next year with our with our next episode. Um, I'm going to be running another tournament this year. Last year, well, earlier this year was the best game since 1990, and, and this year it's going to be best performance. So we'll probably reflect a bit on that and you know get to chat about you know some of the great performances that we've seen and you know reliving what our experience of those were. So looking forward to doing that. Uh, I've spoken with Rick Edwards uh, recently and he's going to be joining us again for another preseason training report. Uh, we'll obviously go through our best 22s. We'll have another Patreon Q&A, as I said, probably in February and we'll give our thoughts on on the practice games uh, all in the lead up to round one in March and it's all get when it all starts getting really exciting and we all, we all hope and dream again. But look, until then, Don the Sat listeners, I hope you all stay safe, have a great festive period, and go Dons.